You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Shalom. This is some of my best friends are Kabbalists. I'm Avram Kivalevich, and I'm here with Harav Nosan Notaglik, Kabbalist extraordinaire from Ashkelon, Eretz Yisrael. Um, Rav Nelson, we, we received a lot of good uh, feedback for our, on our, from our pilot program, uh, the Mystic's Origin Story. Um, and I wanted to uh, take the time to sort of plumb, your, uh, plumb the depths of your knowledge uh, for you to talk to us a little bit about uh, history, but also practical. Uh, last time we spoke a lot about um, the, uh, you mentioned the ideas of Klippa, you mentioned the ideas of the of, of the Baal Shem Tov. And we know, Rav Nelson, that, that many people draw a straight line um, from Rab Yitzchak Luria Ha'ari, the Eloki Rab Yitzchak Luria Ashkenazi, uh, to the Baal Shem Tov. Of course, there might be a stop or two on the way. Um, and that really Baal Shem Tov Chesidus, which is what you talked about uh, last time, uh, is really sort of like a, an enrichment, an advancement, an amplification of ideas that find themselves uh, in the Arizal. But we, you and I both know, and I know uh, many people who are interested in Kabbalah know, that there's another line, a line that in some circles people feel the Arizal was built on, but that's a line that is, I, I guess, for better or worse, it's known as uh, Kabbalah's Haramak, uh, from Amisha Cordovero. And uh, it's a different type of Kabbalistic system, uh, different than the idea of um, the Oivamatoyu, I guess, and the Oivamamalbush and, and Oivamatikun and Odom Kadmon. It has a, a, a different sort of sensibility, and, and I know that you have a lot of familiarity with it. and and what I have studied when I tried to study the Pardes, I found it a very rich and accessible safer. Uh, a safer that, whereas the, uh, the, the Itzchayim, um, was a very difficult one and obviously something that needed, like we mentioned last week, uh, a very intense, um, course in Kedusha to be able to navigate. So why don't you, uh, uh, Talk to us a little bit about these strands, the strand of Cordovero and where it comes from and what's significant about it and maybe perhaps how it still could uh, regain its importance. Go ahead, Rav Nelson. Well, I'll, the story of the um, tire of the Ramak versus the tire of the Ariya Kodesh actually is the story of the publication of the Zohar. That's really where the where the split goes back to. Okay, so you're going back actually to the I don't know what they call it the 12th century was it? Well, uh, you're talking century. about these. You're talking oh, about. Yeah, I don't want to interrupt you. Uh, you mean the Hisgalus Zohar, not the actual print, the printing of the Zohar? Well, the publication. I mean, I mean publication in terms of of pursuing in terms of Hisgalus Zohar right? out there. Okay, you know, even even in the days of handwritten manuscripts, books had to be published. You know, publishing meant you take the you take the manuscript, you give it to somebody, and he and he's you know, and he, he transcribes it from from okay. Uh, okay from the original to the to the copy. Um, so they didn't have formal publications like you know after the invention of the printing press, but um, 
because anyway. I know that because uh, the reason why I interrupt you because I know that's a whole different um, controversy about uh, that surrounded the actual physical the actual <laughs> publication and what we call publication of the Zohar and the whole uh, debate right. whether that should occur or not. But go ahead, yes. So and, when Zohar... and, uh, you know, just to just to say one thing very very briefly is the scholarly attitude towards towards the Zohar has changed a lot since. Uh, since Gershom Sholem's uh, day, when Gershom Sholem basically imagined, and, and a lot of the sources that he was working with said the same thing, that the that the Zohar was uh, published by one person called Rabbi Moshe de Leon, living in you know living in someplace in Spain where he where he was located, um, Valvolid or whatever whatever the place is called. And um, that his claim was that he was copying out of it. He was copying his publication out of old manuscripts. But you know, you could argue that maybe he wrote it himself because no one. There's no verification on the on the original manuscripts. The current theory, which is put forth by uh, Yehuda Libes, is that it's actually the Zohar was put together by an editorial board of some pretty big heavy hitters, which included Rabbi Moshe de Leon, but not not uh, not. Not exclusively involved in the project was Rabbeinu Bachaye, you know, the commentator. Rabbeinu Bachaye bin Asher was the commentator on the Chumash after after the Ramban, and involved in it was um, Rabbi Yosef Gitilia, who was also a very well known character. And there's some other interesting people involved: Rabbi Yosef Ashkenazi and somebody called Rabbi Yosef Habba Mi Shushan Habira. Hmm. Okay. So, so there's a, a tremendous drawing together of, of different of different traditions and different streams coming from different places, okay, and a lot of and a lot of Ashkenaz uh, tradition in there in there as well. So this makes the Zohar a book that contains lots of ancient traditions which were being put together by not just one one guy working in working in in darkness, but by a whole crew of people as part of a much more public process which is why the you know which is which is why the the new midrash even though it's a new midrash would have a good deal of credence if people knew who the editorial board was and apparently as often happens you know like we don't know who first wrote down the talmud bavli either okay right um so so once if so in other words it's a canard um that to sort of like buy in uh to the rambam's a description that there's this one man who's in charge. The idea of, you know, the Rambam. Although he does say Yehuda Halevi, Yehuda Hanasi had uh, his Bezdin, but the Rambam, you know, is very um, into this idea of this primal figure like uh, Yehuda Hanasi, Rav Ashi, uh, these prime figures that create, just like he himself saw <laughs> that that's what he did in terms of the Mishnah Torah. Yeah. But that, but that is actually an unrealistic or an unusual. Uh, exception to the rule. You believe that many of these these great works, including, of course, Talmud Bavli, was a was done by a team of of scholars. Maybe there was some Uber editor, but he was working with the uh, the, the raw intellectual and interesting material that was collected from from yeah. this group. Okay, that's so. That's a, yeah, and but the critical question is that. Does the Zohar actually contain a teaching of, a, you know, a system of Kabbalah that was the same as what was already existing in the Spanish uh, environment? 
at that at that period of time, because already pre- prior to the you know the uh, publication of the Zohar, you you had Kabbalah of the Ramban, and this goes back to earlier Mekubalim from Provence, and you know goes back further still through subterranean uh, uh, unknown channels to uh, to to the time of the Tanoim. I'm just you know giving you the traditional traditional approach to this. And and certainly the people who promoted it bought into that traditional belief system. They, you know, it's not like Rabbi Yitzchak Sagi Nohar made something up and he and he and he claimed that it was old. Okay, the people who promoted Kabbalah were saying this is this is our ancient tradition, and we're saying this and we're most mostly publicizing these ideas for the first time because we need to stand up against the uh, you know the more Rambam style rationalistic philosophy, which they disagreed with very very deeply. Okay. Long story short, so there was a Kabbalah that was present in the base Medrash of the Ramban and in, other, and in other places. Then comes along this other work called Zohar, and it, beca- it gets published somewhat, somewhat later. And when people looked at the Zohar, and this is the story that I was told, okay, and it, it seems to make sense to me very, very much, when people started, or Kubalim started analyzing the Zohar, they realized that they don't know exactly how to navigate this this new text. Okay. It doesn't seem to fit in entirely well with the current uh, shita that we have. Okay, so when you you know when you go to work on a on a text like that, you try to understand it. Obviously, the first the first thing that you do is you is you systemize the the, the shita the the um, you systemize the system <laughs> that you already got, and then you try to work with the new text or the newly published text in such a way that you're using your current system to interpret your new material that you have to work with. And this is a process that went on for I don't. Know, 200 years, thereabouts. And Rabbi Moshe Kordavira was the epitome of that process. He's the one who pulled everything together. Right. So, so in so other he words, was, he, he took elements of um, of Merkava mysticism and other things that were sort of like pre-Zohar. Uh, he streamlined it and he aligned it with the ideas he felt the Zohar was um, right. uh, basically promoting and um, creating a sort of encyclopedia uh, more than that really uh, like a a, a, like he was almost like the base Yosef of of Halacha right? Right. (laughs) He learned by the base Yosef you know he he, he learned by Rabbi Yosef Karo okay um you know, I mean, Rabbi Yosef Kara was a dominant presence in in Sfat at, at that time, so there's no way that you could there was no way that you could avoid him. And by the way, he outlived all of them, which is why he's buried further down the hill. You know, if you if you're into Sfat, you know, you know, Rabbi Moshe Kordovir and the Ari are quite close to each other because they died at a, at a young age, and 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 the cemetery wasn't so big yet. By the time the Beis Yosef died, the cemetery had gotten bigger, <laughs> and therefore he's further away That's from so. the. From the entrance, they have to schlep down the, you know, schlep down the hill a bit to get to to, to get to to get to the base Yosef. There was, uh, yeah, so it was, it's, but anyway, yeah. the thing, the, the question is, did the Ramak succeed? 
And apparently the feeling, the feeling was is that as brilliant as the Ramak was and as, as hard as he worked and all of his Mesirus Nefesh and everything, there are still things in the Zohar which they're, as you'd say in yeshiva, they're doichik teres. Okay, the you know you can you can force the text to mean that, but it doesn't actually seem to mean that. Okay, and and the problem the problem here is is that is that Rabbi Moshe Cordovero is working with the Kabbalah that was already there, assuming that the Zohar, if the Zohar is a Kabbalistic work, that it's written in the same way of thinking, the same system as the one that he's currently operating with. And so therefore, the result is fantastic. And, and many, many, many things he gets right, or possibly gets right. But that doesn't, that's not the same thing as saying that he really succeeded in penetrating to the, the, the Zohar's meaning. And, and would you say that um, that uh, the Ari, and of course, let me just point out to everyone that uh, Rav Moshe Cordovero wrote voluminously not only the very extensive commentary in the Zohar, the Or Yokar, uh, and we mentioned, of course, the Pardis Rimona, which has a number of different sections to it, but I think there's a number of others, uh, Or Nerav, and uh, a couple of other this forum that are, whose names are escaping me now. Um, but he was the author. He was the actually the one who put his uh, quill to the parchment and wrote these things and wrote up these, these, these forum. Whereas it's interesting, of course, the Arizal, who is sort of like the 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 the, the competitor, the the one who uh, outshone him, the one who basically um, uh, caused uh, Cordovero to sort of be in the dustbin of 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 of, of inquiry and study. He didn't write anything really, right? There was very, very little that he wrote. There was supposedly a commentary in the Zohar that he wrote when he was young. But what's known as real Lurianic Kabbalah was actually transcribed by students, right? None of that was actually written by him personally. And there we have we have Ramak, who's always writing, right? Who's 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 almost like this this incredible who's putting his own thoughts and ideas there. So it, 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 it's quite startling, isn't it? That that uh, that all that stuff that he all that material that he worked on, um, you feel. And you're telling me, in some ways, seems to miss the mark. Whereas, whereas uh, Arizal uh, Luria does seem to fit like a hand in a glove, as far as you're concerned, in terms of penetrating with the Zohar. Well, hand, hand in a glove is, is, I think, making it too tidy. Okay, because even if you, even if you have the basis of, of Kabbalah Sari, there's still going to be Mamarim and the Zohar that twist you into a knot. But the general the general feeling amongst the amongst the Leimding was that the Ari got it right, and once you, as they say, tasted the the sweetness of the Ari's Kabbalah, you couldn't go back. But 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 the Ari's Kabbalah did not have the advantage of aligning with these earlier mystical traditions, right? The Sefer Akana, the Sefer Aplia, the Sefer Abohir. Uh, uh, Merkava mysticism, like I mentioned before, those didn't necessarily seem to uh, be speaking uh, this, anything similar to the language of the Ari. It's almost like the Ari erased. Uh, well, so let's so let so let's talk about where the Ari got it from. Okay, and and here you get into a, an issue which has a lot to do with how let's let's say Eretz Yisrael attitudes towards Kabbalah Ari and what makes it special. 
right? Because, you know, coming from where we come, okay, we say, okay, here was a man with a mind. He had his thoughts. He had his ideas. He put his thoughts down on paper. That's the best because it's rational. It's discursive. You can understand it. He, he asks questions. He gives you answers, okay? And, and in, in fact, you know, the, the Pardes and everything else that, the, that Ramak wrote is very rationalistic in tone. It's, you know, it's not necessarily philosophically rationalistic, but it is... Uh, but it's certainly lambda type rationalism. It deals with these, with, you know, it deals with these things as as with sugyas. I mean, right. it's also it's also philosophically solid, you know. Once you once you get once you get what the point is, which maybe we'll talk about also at some at some at some point. I, I know but, one of the pieces that to me was always very striking was one of his great essays, which is. Uh, what are the spheros? You know, are the spheros etzemelukus? Uh, are the spheros hishtaushus? You know, and he puts it right on the table. We, the Zohar is full of these ter- this terminology about uh, the 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 power of the spheros. Is that God? Is that a manifestation of God? Is that something God created? Right. This is one of the, the yeah. this is one of the primal questions. I think anybody who reads Kabbalistic literature has is what are we talking about? And and, and, and and the Ramak <laughs> meets Ramak, that meets that challenge head on and he actually says but he, he actually goes through possibilities, right? I think so. Right. Absolutely. And you know, in the in the end, what in the end what his response is, if I recall, is that is that um he he says that you know mitzad, mitzad the the hiskalos of them they're Caleb. So I think I think his intention is to say that in under other circumstances they would be considered Bruim. But because they're filled from within by Arhain Saif, so therefore they're they're betelim to the to the matzim. So actually, when you when you uh, when you're dealing with spheres, okay, you're dealing with Hakadosh Baruch Hu. It's a it's a it's a revelation of Hakadosh Baruch Hu through these through these vessels, which I know he uses to help explain um, passages that talk about davening to. Right a certain mita right. of having a certain sphere in mind and how this aligns with the idea of not, of, of, of not using intermediaries. And this is something, you know, right. that, uh, and, and, and by the way, you know, you had a lot of, you had a lot of Makubalim, let's say prior to the Ramak or, or when, when things were still more, uh, more open to interpretation, you know, some people thought that the spheres were, were etzimalikus. In other words, that, that Hashem was intrinsically esser spheres, Right. And then, and then they would say, well, you know, what's the difference, what's the difference between that and Christianity, Rahmatul Islam, you know, Lahabdul. And there were other people that said that no, the, you know, no, the spheres are, are bruim. Okay, they're created, they're created entities, they're created intellects. Um, and then, then the question is, so why would you be mechavering to them when you daven? You know, and, and, uh, and Ramak had, you know, Ramak had it right on that, on that score. Um, I think you can give some variations to to those basic ideas, but I don't think there's anybody that that argues on them substantially. Okay? But, but, but would you say, you know, before we started recording, I checked my Wikipedia page on Ramak, and I saw this um, this legend that the Ari arrives in Eretz Yisrael on the day of the Ramak's funeral, um, and he joins the funeral procession, and he's the only one who sees the Amud Haish. And, you know, uh, to me, all these hagiographic stories, and I, I know, I, I think you agree with me, Rabbi Gluck, yeah. are really stories that are meant to symbolize an idea. And, of course, the idea here is, I think, that 
one could look at the Ramak as a great philosopher thinker who was involved in the depth of Kabbalistic ideas, but was not, as we mentioned last week, a Baruch HaKodesh, a Makubal, someone who the fire was in. He, and, and, and I think what Arizal was saying, although he was about to uh, you know, uproot almost everything and make him <laughs> and turn him into uh, you know, uh, last week's chopped liver, but he was still wants everyone to know he still was a Baruch HaKodesh. And he still was someone who, even within this sort of huge opus, which sounds very philosophic and uh, accessible, was also fueled by a, a, a mystical power that comes through the Hisgalas of Ruach HaKodesh or Nevoah. Uh, do, do you like that? And I think that's sort of what he's trying to say. I don't yeah, know. I also, I also suspect that there's a little bit of uh, you know, propagandizing there. Um, because if you know you you if you were a follower of the Ramak and there were followers of Ramak who were not terribly impressed with with uh, with the Iri. I mean you know human human nature being what it is okay there was a there was a transition there and, and I think uh, I think the, the Baal or Hachama has some has some references to, to the Iri and the Hakdama to to uh, to that book which are less than less than complimentary um, you know but the, what what that's trying what's that what that is trying to say is that the Ari truly understood the Ramak better than the rest of you guys who claim to be his Talmudim. And therefore the Ari is a bar samcha to continue expanding the the uh, Kabbalistical tyrants. And I think that's more the, the gist of what the what the story is, is trying is trying to tell you. But, even, even even like you say he's 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 dismissing it. Um, t- tell me do you think you know for for us, for me and you, for the people that are listening who are interested would you suggest some Ramaks forum for them? I mean, oh, is is that the way to go? You think? Is or or would you would you, would you so, counsel against it? Um, let me see. I kind of hope to get to that part. A little, okay, uh, good. I'm sorry for jumping. I'm sorry for jumping into you. Go ahead. Really, okay, the thing that I really wanted to mention was why did the Ari say the things that he did? Okay. I mean, we know why, I mean, it can say with a fair degree of certainty how it is that the Aries tire was accepted, okay? Um, part of it was because mostly, mostly uh, Reb Chaim Vital took away everybody's notebooks and he hid everything and he sat on everything and he didn't let everybody, you know, he didn't let it out, okay? So anything that you, you know, anything that you don't let out becomes much more valuable and desirable. I think that's, you know, that's also a little bit of human nature. Um, but mostly it's that, People who were exposed to the, the Aris ideas really, really, really felt that he had the Zohar down in a way that Moshe Kordaviro did not. And I, I just want to explain that phenomenon because to begin with, the Ari couldn't have done it without Rabbi Moshe Kordaviro, and and uh, so in that respect, you could say that the Ari is a hemshech of the Ramak in a in a sense. Okay, because if if not for the Ramak, I don't think I don't think that that the Ari could have done what he did, but. In the Svartish world, in, er- in Eretz Yisrael, there's a there's a concept that says basically that all of the Kabbalah of the Ari is not from this world. It's beyond human comprehension. There's no point in time in trying to comprehend it. Therefore, you're going to learn Kisvei Ari. Check your brain in at the door. Okay, don't think. Certainly, do not try to define the concepts because you can't define them. 
and I have some funny anecdotes about about this, but moving along. The the Ari, according to them, got his Giluyim from Eliyahu Anavi. He got them from Shemayim. And no human being can think this stuff up. So it just has to be true. It has to be true because these are descriptions of higher realities. And we don't even know what it is. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't know what a Tavuna is, and we don't know what a what a Yisrael Saba is, and we don't know what Sphiris Achachma is, and we don't know what Yisaid is. We just don't know what these things are. But we but it's a big mitzvah to be missed, you know, to to deal with them, to to um, to calculate them. Okay, and to and to daven with them as kavanas. It's a it's a it's a strange way of thinking about it. And by the way, when, when Baal HaSulam got to Eretz Yisrael, because he, he grew up in a Hasidic environment in Poland, and he came to Eretz Yisrael, he was aghast at the way that they were learning Kisvei HaAri, because it's, a, it's like without Seichel, you know. <laughs> and, and, and he, so he took that very badly. You know, he was very disappointed in, in the, in the, in the uh, Yerushalmim Mekubalim that he, that he encountered, precisely because of this thing. But basically, it's a Gilim in Hashemayim, and that's it. And that's why it's superior, because because the, the Ari, I mean, the Ari is Mina Shamayim, Rabbi Moshe Cordoviro, is based upon good, solid, logical, Talmudic principles, like all the rest of Torah, but it's not the Ari. Now, the Ari was utterly transcendent. And we don't even understand what he means, but we're still, hacking, you know, we're still scraping around to, to work, out some, work out some things and figure out how to daven according to his kavanas. But I, I'll give you the alternative version. Right? The alternative version is that, I mean, it's well known that the Ari took his copy of the Zohar, went to, went to, was misboded on an island in the middle of the Nile, because he grew up in Egypt um, for six years or something like that. And then, 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 when he, then when he had it all together, he moved to Eretz Yisrael. That's the, that's the story. So the Ari also, by the way, was a massive lambda. He was a very, very smart man. He knew his Gemara. He assisted on the publication of the Shita Mekubetzes, by the way, which was, which was being put together, I believe, by his father-in-law, uh, Rabbi Tzalel Ashkenazi. So it was, uh, was, but he was, but he was living in Egypt, and, he, and so the Ari was involved in the in, in the editing of the of the Shita Mekubetzes. So he's he's not a lightweight lambda. And, Lam, Lam, you know, he was a London Bein with tremendous mysterious nefesh that everybody that everybody said about him. So I think that what he did was, first of all, beginning with the Ramak, he could identify what wasn't working. He could identify the specific points in the in the Ramak Shita where there was some sort of disconnect between that and what the words of the Zohar seemed to say. And I think the biggest chiddush of the Ariyah Kadosh, I've heard this from others, but you know, I think it's I think it's true is that he decided, look, I'm going to let the Zohar speak for itself. Because Rabbi Moshe Kordavir's assumption was that the Kabbalah that was in Spain is the same Kabbalah that the Zohar is talking about. But who, who knows if that's really the case? Maybe the Zohar has a massively different, you know, Shita, a massively different system of Kabbalah than the, than the uh, Ramban had in his, in his base matters. It's not impossible. And when he allowed himself that... Um, that permission to think differently and to let the Zohar more speak for itself than to speak, speak through the channeling and, and, uh, and um, mechanics of, of, the, of the previous Kabbalah, suddenly he got it. 
and I can tell you what the fundamental distinction is because it's very it's very straightforward. What's not straightforward is what this distinction means, okay? But the distinction is is that is that the Kabbalah of before the Zohar was a Kabbalah of ten spheres, right, emanating somehow out of the out of the Ein Soif and being mishtalshel. Um, um, Yeah, revealing themselves through four worlds, which are Atzilus, Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. And we're located somewhere at the, in, the, in the dregs of Olam, of Olam HaAsiya, but, you know, there are worlds beyond us. And, uh, and Atzilus is a world which is on the borderline, so to speak, between, between Ein Saif and, and Yesh. Because Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya are Olam of, of, of Yesh, of existence, of being, even if it's a highly refined and highly abstract being, but it's still being because it's not elikus. But beyond that is Olam Hatzilus, which is the world of Hashem's names and attributes, names and midos. And beyond Olam Hatzilus is the Ein Saif, which which is which which you know which uh, which um, animates them and, and vivifies them and actually gives them both being and and, and life. Right? And that's the system. Okay, the ten spheres connect to each other through different channels, through different yichudim. Okay, that happens, but you know that that picture that everybody knows about the keser, you know, uh, all those these circles connected by connected by pathways. Okay, that's you know that's straight out of the uh, that's straight out of the pardes, and it is the basic form of the of the of the uh, of the spheres according to Shita Saravak. Okay. The Zohar did not believe in ten spheres. I mean, it believed in ten spheres, but not as the summation of the contents of Olam Atzilut. The um, the Zohar has a shita of five partsufim, and five partsufim is is like is five personalities. It's not hard to see this, by the way, in the Zohar, because if you if you read Zohar, you'll you'll see it. It's pretty it's pretty straightforward. The five personalities are. Let's say sometimes called Arich Anpin, sometimes called uh, Atik Yoimin, which is Keser. But it's not Keser as like a, a single circle at the top of the at the top of the diagram. It's a whole personality with a lot of stuff going on in there. And then you have Abba and Ima, which are like shorter personalities, right? And underneath Abba and Ima, you have another two personalities, which are called Zeir Anpin and uh, Matrunita, or also called also called Nukva, also called Malchut, also called all of the all of the other uh, you know names that go along with that. So, so really, the Zohar does not uh, make heavy use of the Esther Spheres, which of course is a term that origin, I believe, the earliest thing. And I'm not sitting here with my with my computer and googling this, but I think the earliest origin is from the Sefer Yitzira. Right, it's from the Sefer Yitzira where we have Esther Spheros Belima, and um, uh, you know, there, I think you have uh, was it Rabbi from Barchia, or uh, you also even have I think Rabbi Yitzchok Yisraeli's uh, mathematical interpretation of what Esther Spheros Belima means. So, in other words, that idea was the Ramak bought into it so totally and completely he had to meld the Zohar with that, even though the Zohar was actually using, was, was using different primary terms, right? A different, different model. Uh, 
and okay. uh, so he was. Yeah. So you so you can so you can understand that that for, you know as in the, in the case of the IRE, he could easily have said, and I think he probably did. We don't have it recorded, but I think that, you know that we are you know we are midgets on the shoulders of giants. I mean, he had he had tremendous uh, COVID for the for Ramak. Okay, because once again, this is this is the man that tried every possible way of making it work and didn't and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. And because of that, the Ari was able to say, okay, you know, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let the document speak for itself. It's would not be the case to say that that uh, the Kabbalah of the Zohar doesn't believe in Esospheres. That's not that's not accurate either. But it believes that each part is composed of of Esospheres. Some total of of Spheris, if you like, would be fifty, right? But the the it's it's based on on a separate kind of a separate kind of concept. And sometimes for people who are just getting used to this, I I, I give them the following I give them the following mashal, okay? The spherot, according to the Ramak, are kind of like buttons on a remote control. Okay, each one has each one has a certain each one has a certain function. Each one corresponds to a certain reality. Our, our avoida as Am Yisrael in the world is to maintain the cosmos by clicking on the right sequence of buttons. We need to mix, we need to bring Shefa from Kesa, we need to bring Shefa from Kesa down to, uh, down to Teferis, we need to spread some Tanetzach into Hay, look if it's Hanukkah, we're going to give some Shefa from Kesa to, 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 to Hod. Teferis, we're going to pass some Tanetzach, we're going to pass a whole bunch to Hod because that's the whole sequence of Hanukkah. And and then from there we have to move that over to Malchus through Yisoid and and then we so then the, the different kinds of different kinds of shefa that the world needs become available. As a matter of fact, the the, the purpose in, in the Ramak Kabbalah, which is a brilliant idea, is that the reason why there's ten and not more or less is because the ultimate purpose is to generate is to generate beings that are very specific enough. To be small and mortal. Okay, so if you have if you have a very if you have an alphabet of three letters, let's say, okay, alif alif bet and gimel. So you can you can do abag bag 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 bag, but you're not really getting down to a, a level of specificity. If you have if you have ten basic concepts and you're combining them and you're combining the combinations and combining the combinations, you can get down to a level of specificity where you can have a small mortal being with Bechir Chofshis, right? And that's, that's, the meaning, that's the meaning of the tent. But a Mekubal, according to Ramak uh, uh, Shita, is involved with being Mekayim, you know, with, with maintaining the universe and even improving it somewhat, okay? But basically it's a, it's a you know, HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives the Tzinorot Shefa over to Am Yisrael and we are therefore the ones who are responsible for Operating the world, and 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 the Arizal, you would say, would disagree with that. What you just said, he would. He wouldn't disagree with that. He would say that that's only part of the picture. Because imagine, by the way, if you don't have just ten buttons on a, imagine if you have a family. So each personality in the family has a completely different point of view on the whole of reality. And one of them, by the way, the, the old grandpa, Arif Anpin, okay, he doesn't, 
he doesn't even have the same kind of existence as the rest of the family because he's so old and he's so far away that you know that he's like beyond the family dynamic, right? So you have you know you have Abba and Emi, a father and mother. You have son and daughter, and they're and 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 they're arguing over over things, or maybe they're agreeing over things. But in you know in the end, you can get something from Grandpa that's going to shake up the whole going to shake up the whole uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. So what you have actually is tremendous capabilities for chidush, you know, and I do believe that part of the Ariz Indian was to was to understand perhaps that Gula, you know, the ultimate redemption, the ultimate end of time, isn't just like the universe getting getting better and achieving its current state of perfection based upon its current um, its current um, nature. Nature itself, okay, needs to be redefined. And it needs to be re- redefined in ways that you can't even imagine yet. And the, the idea of partsufim is going to give you that capability. Because partsufim, separate partsufim is, you know, kishem she'en deotehen shavot, ken, you know, kishem she'en partsufehem shavot, hach in deotehen shavot. You know, two people with two different facial structures don't have the same ideas. So it's possible for there to be much more radical and revolutionary transformations. And and I would say also much more individualistic. In other words, if you are, if you are ascribing in a Ramak way, um, you could sort of, um, you you could say, I'm not getting this and it's not working because, you know, it's not necessarily speaking through you. Whereas um, if it's Kabbalah Sari, there is a greater uh, ability to feel it coursing through you from the multiple perspectives or the perspective that seems to align where you're holding in life. Um, right. and, and I think this is part of the reason why, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, you know, Chabad Chazidus, um, uh, really emphasize these, these elements, uh, Erechanpin, Keser, um, the different aspects of Keser, and even coming up with their own, you know, uh, trumping this ratio de Lois Yoda and other things like that. And uh, I would say the Alter Rebbe especially lived very much in that world, right? He very much lived in, uh, and, and, and many of his uh, multi-page marochas were from uh, from all these different perspectives. Um, and, 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 and it's interesting, uh, even though, you know, the last Rebbe and maybe Rebbe Yosef Yitzchuk we're very into messianism. Um, it's, you know, I don't get the sense from the Rav Schneer Zalman, who I think is really the pioneer in this area, that messianism or the imminent geula was really the, the issue, right? Uh, it, it was more about personal uh, kedusha uh, that, that maybe could be uh, learned by others, but he wasn't necessarily interested in, as you say, fixing the world and, and creating this new planet um, he was really more involved in in in, in the depths of that Lurianic exploration of the various perspectives. W- would you say that's true? I would say that's very very true. And I w- I'll I'll add one thing. And by the way, remember we had a seder in Lakute Torah for a little while, many huh? many eon many many eons ago on Thursday night in Miami. We were we were doing Lakute Torah for a while, me and you. Uh huh. 
um, well, we, we, that was you and me, or was us and Rabbi Yochanan? It was Nosen and Avramo learning together. Uh-huh. <laughs> For we, we tried anyway, but go well, ahead. In, 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 incidentally, I'm going to bring back some memories. I'll just say. Tanin, tanin, that I think is that I think is connected to more Ramak. Uh, uh, I don't know that where is, that's from. That, <laughs> that is that that is a Sabbatean reference, if uh, if uh, I would say. And I, okay. I guess I should, I, you know, before when you answer this, I want you also to to speak to another thing, which I which I have heard is true, and we got to wrap it up soon. But um, that, as we know. From Gershon Sholem's incredible book on Shabbat Svi, um, how he felt that uh, the Kabbalistic uh, Renaissance explosion and power of Tzfas was really the the, the power that that led to uh, the Sabbatean um, uh, movement and the power that it had. But I think, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Sholem indicates that that Shabbat Svi himself. Really was was an Amaritz in 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 Kabbalah Sari. He was more into he knew Kabbalah Sazoar, maybe Ramak, I, I guess. But it was only Nathan of Gaza, it was Nosan Anovi, who was more the Lurianic thinker. Um, I mean, and, okay, that's the same thing. That's the same thing that I read. I just listen before before we lose before we run out of time. So I just want to say one thing that's very important. One of the things that you get out of the di- distinction between Spheris and 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 Partsufim is whenever you get some high school kid that comes along and asks you, why do we have to say the same Shmaya Esrei over and over and over again? It's getting tired. It's getting boring. So, okay, and the actual the actual response to that is that okay the words are identical, but it's never the same davening because every moment of every day, you have a new constellation of the partsufim, and that gives you new meanings that have never been experienced until now, and that gives you the ability to lift up fallen sparks that have never been lifted up until this very moment. So no two davenings are ever the same, and if they and if that appears to you to be the case, that's because you're not doing it right. Yeah. Okay, so part of so part of davening properly actually means leaving yourself open, not just to the words that you're saying, but where am I located right now? What am I feeling? What's going on in my mind? What's my what's my subjective state? You know, like am I happy? Am I am I am I am I am I distracted? Am I depressed? And you, all of those things are what you have to work with because this moment, the way the olamos, the way the olamot, the way the partsufim are shining at you at this moment, that moment is never going to come back. And it's one of it's one of an infinity of moments that you can have within within Oilamatsilus according to the Partsufim that would be very hard, I think, to find according in the in the in the conception of the Esospheris as uh, as circles and and uh, and lines in the in the in the diagram. Because because there's a million and one there's a million and one other nafkaminas. I mean, it's very it's a very broad it's a very broad distinction. I, but I, that's the that's the Ariakadish and I just wanted to go back briefly to the thing that you said about what I recommend somebody reading reading the Ramak. Okay, so I don't know how much how much time we have for for a history lesson, but um, after after the Ari died, um, Chaim Vital understood that he is the only one who is authorized to perpetuate the Torah of the of the Ari, because he's the only one that has you know that will that has this access to this 
Gilui Ha'ari that came from Hashemayim, that came from, you know, universes beyond our comprehension. And this is and this is the system. And this is the system that we have to work with. And no other system is valid. Because all of the all of the systems are are the are the emerge from human minds dealing with learning learning tire, but it's a human mind learning tire. This came from someplace else. And therefore it's infinitely superior. So therefore, trash everything you know, trash every book that's ever been written by a Makubo. And and uh, and according to what we according to the Aegis of Rukhaim Vital, I believe he says and he says it in the name of the Ari, you know, the only books worthwhile learning of anybody that came before me is is uh, Ramban Alatayra. Okay? Every, everything else, wipe. Okay. So needless to say, that plays very badly with the Ramak. And, and in all probability, the reason why, at least in Eretz Yisrael, in, in any Kabbalah Yeshiva, I, don't even, I, don't, I didn't even see copies of Sefer Apartes in any of them. Okay, the ones that I've been to. I don't know, maybe I wasn't looking carefully enough, right? But I, you know, I spent I spent my time in Kabbalah yeshivas, and nobody nobody's touching nobody's touching Parnes, okay, and and, and nobody's touching um, the the um, Ramak's commentary to 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 Zaira Kudish, okay, nobody, and it's mostly because I I believe mostly it's because of the of the injunction of Rambam Vital not to touch anything that came from before from before the Ari. Now, the, the ones who really take this idea and run with it are like the, specifically the Mekubalim and Eretz Yisrael, in particular the Sephardish Mekubalim. Everything else is dangerous. And, and by the way, the Sephardish Mekubalim also, some of them anyway, have a very, very, have a very bad opinion of, of Teres Abal Shem and everything else and the Ramchal. They don't want anything because, because all of these, according to them, are systems of human understanding of the, of the Kabbalah, which in their minds is second rate and suspect. You know, it's only when we deal with these things as pure X's, pure Y's, and pure Z's that are never going to be explained. But this is how we have to do a chavin, right? So, uh, and you indicated earlier from uh, yeah. quoting Rabbi Yudah Ashlag that uh, that this was yeah. a system and Rabbi Huda, that and Rabbi Yudah Ashlag thought completely the opposite. But once again, you know, Rabbi Yudah Ashlag is, is is European, so he and he he comes from a kind of tradition where where understanding what you're saying is 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 meaningful. Anyway, yeah, yeah. the way that it comes out really in the Balshemtov's base matter, she's much more liberal towards towards um, towards uh, what of Sifre Kabbalah from from before the Ariya Kodesh. And since you know I'm a somewhat of a of a follower of, of Kamarna Rebbe's, so yeah. the guidance that the I don't know whether whether it's Rebbe. Uh, Rabbi Eisenbel or 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 his, or his son uh, Rabbi Elazar Tzvi, but the guy the guidance is it's okay it's perfectly okay to learn Ramak, it's perfectly okay to learn Kisvei Ha'ari. Just remember that they're, they're different ways of thinking and don't get them mixed up. In a, you know during a period of time that you're learning Ramak, you learn Ramak. When you're not learning Ramak, you learn you learn Ari, but you keep them separate because otherwise you'll become confused and that's and that's no good. Wow. Which, by the way, is very, very good advice, especially if you're learning these things without a teacher. Wow. Um, uh, alternatively, yeah. alternatively, it has also been said, okay, that um, that anybody who is new to Kabbalah, 
And I've, I heard this from Hasidic Shemukubal Lamar, should first learn Pardis, learn Ramak, learn it, okay? Because that gives you the basic definitions of what we're talking about. And then you move from there into, into Kisvihari. And this, 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 this Rebbe said something that's really quite amazing. He said, you can spend your entire life wandering around Kisvihari without ever really understanding that you're talking about a Kaddish Baruch So it sounds a little bit contradictory to what we were talking about before, you know, in terms of uh, how wildly different, how uh, powerful, how individualistic, how it spoke to the psychology of the soul more. Um, you know, it sounds like there's a, there's a, there's quite a little bit of a, um, a conundrum here and a little bit of an intellectual cul-de-sac. Um, you know, I mean, we I, start here. I, I, happen, I happen not to. I happen not to think so. I I am not a great fan of the basic premise of the Sephardi Mekubalim. Right. I'm much more, my sympathies lie much more with Rabbi Huda Afschlag, okay, in terms of what, what the point is. And all all Talmudia Abalsham, what they tried to do was they tried to understand the Zahar, and they tried to use the, the Kabbalah of the Ari to understand the Zahar because they thought it was best suited for the job. But certainly as a solid Hakdama to get your, to get a good a basis of what, to know what we're talking about, you need to start with, uh, you need to start with Ramak. You can't, you know, you can't just jump into Kabbalah Sari because you won't understand so, it. So even though you might find yourself never opening the book after the age of 40, in other words, let's say you begin at 30, like we talk about the Haramim that came out uh, after the Sabbatean uh, heresy, and let's say you start learning and you get to a certain age and you go through, you know, with a solid basis in Kabbalah Ramak and etc. And then when you feel that you're that you're ready to move on and you're ready to absorb more, you might discover that you probably don't look that often into those farm again, right? If a person sets himself up uh, at the age, of, let's say, of 25, 30, to really involve himself, or maybe even younger, he will, according to Nelson Gluck, uh, get your solid basis through Ramak, get your get your mind wrapped around the ideas, see that it isn't so different than the sugis that you're learning uh, in, 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 in a Talmudic fashion. And from there, see if your mind is ready to absorb and understand and, and in a Shlagian way some of the things that the Ari is bringing to the Zohar and beyond. Would you say that's sort of in a nutshell? I would, I would, say, I would say that's very that's very fair. It's also, it's, it's also not Bashamayim. You know, it, it, can, it can definitely be, be done. Um, probably best not to wait... Listen, somebody who really needs this stuff, okay? Because that's ultimately that's the criteria of who learns Kabbalah and who doesn't. If you if you really really need it, if you go to all the rabbis and they all tell you no, don't learn, you're not ready. Who are you? What do you think you are? Okay, and they and they and they and they, they beat you up until you're a piece of shmata, and then this broken up poor little piece of shmata drags himself to the base of medrash and pulls up a, a book off the shelf and and finds solace in it, okay. That's that's the person who needs to learn it. So not not I mean okay so not everybody has to go through that kind of a torturous process, okay. But the people who the people who learn Kabbalah are people who basically feel like if I don't have this, then Torah is meaningless. My life is meaningless. I don't know what I'm doing. I can't I can't I can't live as a Jew. I can't live at all. 
you know, and God, that's, that's because the, God is so impenetrable, unknowable. Okay, because and, because if, if you if you if you don't have this, then either you have Rambam style rationalism, which leaves you with no relationship with the Kodesh Baruch at all, ultimately, because it's all just um, you know negative, negative, negative attributes. Yes. Okay, negative attributes. So what do you so what do you get when you realize that all of God's attributes are negative attributes? You get nothing. That's it. You know. And that nothing is going to, I'm going to live in that nothing forever and ever. I don't, it's not very appealing. Okay. Or alternatively, you, 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 you end up with, uh, with uh, only halacha. This is it. This is the halacha. We're going to do this. We're going to do this because it's a chiv to do it. And that, you know, and we don't have to think about anything else than that. Just have to live our entire lives fulfilling our obligations. Yep. So, it, and we're, you know, and so and you're right. You, so you're right. I misspoke before. I misspoke before saying 25. I would assume that if a person is really a, a person who would be a, a searcher, I know, I know for ourselves, speaking about us, we were in our, uh, in our teens when we were involved in this. I know that I started, uh, I guess, when I was, and again, I, I'm not trying to compete here with you, but I guess I started being involved in, I guess, when I was 17 or 16 or 17. I think that's that's probably the age where human beings want to figure out what's really going on with themselves, what's going on with the world, how can they create their own individual way to speak with God and, and still feel part of a great system. So I think we've, uh, like I said, I think we've got to wrap it up over here, but I think we've, we've, we've given hope uh, for many. And hopefully yeah. people who will listen to this. Uh, so, we'll, we'll, if, you, if you're asking me, Ramak is highly, highly recommended. Although I'll tell you, my I came to him once again in a kind of secure, circuitous route because I came with him from a Hasidic background. So one of the one of the books that definitely opened up all sorts of all sorts of doors for me was the Shlach Kodesh, mm-hmm. and Shlach Kodesh has basically his his core his core Torah is is uh, consistent with Ramak. He has some Lurianic additions because he was around at the time. He was living in Eretz Yisrael also, and he was at the time when there were leaks. In in uh, in Vital's security system, and 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 stuff was getting out. Right, a lot of the hagos there in the shul. There's a lot of cap. There's a little the, the Ari sneaks in in the hagos of the yeah. uh, in the shul. Yeah, he's he's, he's quoting hagos Ari or country say Ari, but you know these this is this is stuff that's being leaked out because Rambam Vital really really tried to sit on the on everything. Okay, so maybe and, next maybe we'll in a future episode we'll talk about. The, uh, the the one who got out of the pen before Rav Chaim Vital came back, and of Rabbi Yisrael Sahug, and the the Olam Hamalbush that I mentioned earlier, uh, I referenced, and and of course the Ramami Pano, and and maybe you can I, maybe talk I will, well. Thank you so much, and by the way, thank you for everybody who left nice comments or any comments. All comments are good. So. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.